1: his name is in the ring of honor at arrowhead it's a name you've seen but probably don't know much about jim Tyre was an amazing football player he was a finalist on his first ballot for the pro football hall of fame but 15 seconds changed everything was jim Tyre a good man we hope to figure that out in the latest episode of the kc bobcast featuring filmmaker kevin patrick Allen. You know, you, you, you kind of took me by surprise when you reached out and said, I'm doing a documentary on Jim Tire. And I'm like, I've seen that dude's name at Arrowhead Stadium before, but I don't know a lot about him. And I thought, well, maybe that's why we're doing this documentary. What what prompted you to say, you know what, of all people, we need to tell the story of Jim Tire?
2: Because I bumped into a family member of Jim Tire. And it was just like over the, the course of a long conversation that, um, it's like, that, that is incredible. Incredible, um, you know. Your dad was nine-time All-Pro, captain of the Super Bowl four. Um, at the time, most people said he he's the greatest offensive lineman to ever play the game, and he wasn't a jerk. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sometimes you've got a, a high-profile guy that um, you you poke around, and people don't really they want his autograph, but they don't want to have dinner with him, um, and he he was just a quality individual. And I asked the same thing. What, how is it that I don't know more about this guy? And, um, and at that point, the ball's rolling. I mean, it's like, I, I've got to do something with this.
1: Yeah, and and I watched the entire documentary, and it's a 50-minute long documentary. You may think to yourself, that's a long time. But if you're a football fan, a Chiefs fan, or just kind of a like a fan of life, I mean, th- th- this is a 50-minute movie that goes by very, very fast. And at the end, you end up finding out who Jim Tyre is all about. And that was one of my first questions that I had written down for you. Who is this man? Who Who is Jim Tyre? Who is he? And you started off by saying, man, what a great football player, right? An amazing football player, one of the best, captain of Super Bowl four. Then his career ends. Five years after that, the murder-suicide happens with him and his wife where he commits the murder and then the suicide of himself, and nobody ever talks about him again. And he was kind of just swept under the rug. And, and I know we don't like to focus on the bad, but the good for Jim Tyre was really, really good, and he's a, really a key component to why that team was so good in the early 60s and w- wound up winning that first Super Bowl in Super Bowl Four.
2: Right. Yeah, I mean, if you pull up the – um, you know the old YouTube of Super Bowl Four. Um, y- you'll you'll see Tyre come on the field. You'll see him go to the middle of the field for you know the the coin flip, which was not a big deal back then. But <laughs> and you'll what you'll what you'll notice throughout the broadcast is like um, you know Lynn Dawson is getting great protection. Uh, you know where are the purple people eaters? Uh, you know well that's Jim Tyre. This is this is the guy who. You know, offensive linemen are not the the, the showmen. They don't want a lot of attention. But uh, imagine a guy in 1969 who is six foot seven, two ninety five. I mean, he is uh, he just dwarfs everybody else. He's really quick on his feet. He is a he's the kind of football player that nobody had seen before, and it, one of the the few guys of that era at at that position where you could say we could pop him in today and he could play, Um, you know, maybe not offensive line, but he would be like a great tight end. Um, So yeah. And his teammates loved him. He was well-known in the community. He was the kind of guy that if you saw him at a restaurant, you could approach his table and say, Oh gosh, I love you. Can I have your autograph? And he would not be upset. He would engage you in the conversation um, he He was just a really decent man with phenomenal skills who by all accounts, didn't make any major mistakes in his life until the last ten seconds.. Mm-hmm.
1: Wow, that's pretty compelling when you say it like that. No mistakes in his life to the last 10 seconds. And that kind of tells the story of of his entire life and and why we're here today talking about this film. Because when you look at Jim Tyre as a football player, man, what he was accomplished and what he was able to do, he's a Hall of Famer. He was a finalist on the first ballot for the Hall of Fame, which in in, in pro football is extremely rare to do and then never to be mentioned of again in a Hall of Fame vote. And so when you ran into his family members, was it like, did, did you have an agenda to say, I want to get this film done to get this guy into the Hall of Fame? Did you just want to tell his story? Why did you decide, you know what, we need to tell the story of Jim Tyre?
2: Well, there are four kids, and I, I got to know the eldest. And what impressed me was that all four adult kids are successful they have um, long marriages, happy families, kids who are well adjusted how many How many times you hear about a family of children who are in a house when two people are killed, who hear it happen and they move forward with their lives that was that was the thing for me it 's like um, Sports is so much about endurance, you know, um, and, and life is, is about resilience. Well, how do you break it down? Where, where does that resilience come from? Are it, are, is it quantifiable? How did you guys do this? Um, that's where it kind of went from being a, just a sports story to a, to a life story. Like, uh, it, how, can, how can we take things that these kids have and apply it to our own lives?
1: Yeah, well, and and I think there is room maybe if you want to do a second part about that about the kids because I found myself wanting to know more because on on that date in 1980 when Jim Tire kills his wife and then kills himself, it was almost immediate that the grandparents came in like nothing happened and started raising the kids on their own and set them on that path to, to, to have quality. One's a doctor, one played football at KU. I mean, there's a lot of really good stories from that family that came out of that. How, how did that dynamic work where they the grandparents just took over and started raising these kids on their own? Because I know if that was me and something like that would happen, I don't know that I'd ever recover from it. Right. Well, you know,
2: the thing that struck me is that, you know, so much today is about talking through your feelings and getting counseling and – um and those are, are wonderful things. I, I don't want to diminish that by any means. But what I noticed about the, the family is let's talk about it, but let's not stay in this state that we're in. We'll work through it while we're moving forward. And the grandparents uh, were key to that. And I remember the first time I sat down with the kids over coffee, um, and, and I'm kind of trying to figure out how they are so stable, and they, they said, you know, well, Grandpa was a great guy. Ever since he lost three of his limbs, he just was – and and they're moving, and I'm like, hold up. Grandpa lost three of his limbs? How did that happen? And um and and that had a lot to do with it. What Grandpa went through 50 years prior, a horrific thing, ended up being the catalyst for those kids surviving 50 years later. And it, it made me think – there's this quote that says uh, – everything looks like a failure in the middle. Well, when a grandpa lost three limbs, I'm sure that looked like a failure. But that was really the middle. It was what he went through that allowed his grandkids to survive in 1980. And because he was able to teach them what he went through, his grandkids are doing well in 2020. So, yeah, it is just... It's just incredible.
1: What did happen to the grandfather? Why did he lose three limbs? How did he lose three limbs, I guess? Um, well, I'll tell you half of
2: it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. He's 20 years old. He just graduated from Purdue um, five days prior. He and his girlfriend and his buddy's girlfriend get in a Model A to, to get out of town. Um, his buddy falls asleep at the wheel. Everybody dies except, uh, grandpa. Um, I mean, it's just, it was just horrible. And, and there are pictures, um, some that you see briefly in, in the film from that accident he went through. And, uh, that, that was just the beginning of, um, you know, his journey. And I know from the kids that he had his moments where it was like this, what's the point? Um, but when he decided, I I'm not going to take my life, um, then he was 100% in uh, into making his life everything that it could be, and he he was a, he was a hugely successful man, um, with with uh, you know with a right arm, mm-hmm. I believe it's his right, you know, two two uh, <laughs> two prosthetic legs and a prosthetic arm
1: it's incredible man and so 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 back to jim and and his career he finishes his career hall of fame style career Plays his final year for the Washington Redskins. Seems like everybody goes somewhere and plays somebody right. else's team for the final year, and it never really goes well. Emmitt Smith out in you know Phoenix, and you know you know there's there's a list of guys you can go through that go and play that one final year someplace else, and it just it just isn't the same. What kind of effect did that have on him when the Chiefs gave up on him or retired him out, and he had to go play that final year for the Washington Redskins?
2: By by all accounts, it knocked the wind out of him. He was thirteen years into his career, and his his dream was to play fifteen years and be done and He had no idea that he was that um, Hank Stram would call him in and say "You're actually you're done now um, well, he gave him the option of retiring or or taking a trade and, and Tyre took the trade and it it was you know it was devastating um but that that doesn't that doesn't mean that Stram is a villain here. Um as I talk to other players and and historians, Stram was actually guilty of holding on to guys too long because of all that they'd gone through. You know, they went through the AFL, they got whipped by the Packers, and that was humiliating. And then they they surprised the Vikings and that you know, they helped make the whole AFL legit. Mm-hmm. Um those guys talk about a bond uh Stram was a little bit slow to start letting those guys go but tyre Tyre was a decent salary for then um he was the the oldest guy on the team um he 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 was the one that got cut loose.
1: Do you you think that move by Hank Stram and the Chiefs, by trading him to the Redskins, started his kind of, and we'll get into the mental side of it here in a minute, but do you think that kind of started the mental deterioration of him and him trying to figure out where I'm supposed to be in life, knowing the end of football was coming, and knowing that the team that he played for for his entire career kind of gave up on him and traded him away? Did that start to put the doubts in his mind, like, why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing?
2: yeah it, I, I know that that was a low point for him um I'm, I'm pretty confident if you ask the kids or if you were able to ask tyre at that time it, he was a resilient guy It, it was going to be more of aI'll show them um or or i'll find a way out of this he, you know he he wasn't despondent he he was he was bummed out, but he wasn't giving up. I think what really starts to send him down a road um, that he doesn't recover from is he just finds no success in business. Uh, And he planned for it. He was one of those guys that waited until the last minute. He planned for it throughout his career. Let's put some investments here. Let's learn some skills here. And it still fell apart. And, you know when when you're on top of things for your entire life and then there's the prospect that you know especially at that time that my my wife is going to have to pick up the slack uh, and she may actually she may actually be the breadwinner for the entire family um i i think it's just human nature and especially like i said back then that it's like oh gosh what, what am i even worth anymore
1: so, what was his goal when he retired? What what did he you know want to do? What was his kind of goal when he was going to step away after, say, fifteen years in the NFL? What was that plan? What kind of track was he on for the rest of his life?
2: He had started a business called Proforma, that was um, essentially the way I understand it, being an agent for for athletes, mm-hmm. um, helping market them. I think he also had some type of, types of uh, memorabilia and things that could be sold. And unfortunately he's in Kansas city as opposed to LA or New York. Um, it's a little bit, you know, especially at that, at that time is a little bit m- more difficult to be in the midst of everything and be in the middle of the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he actually had a multitude of businesses but he's quoted as saying, I, I just can't seem to stick with any of them. I I pull out of them too early, and it, that's where it starts to get interesting because one of the key components of um, having a brain injury is you, you can't stick to anything. Mm-hmm. And, it, and that wasn't that wasn't who he was. That you put a bet on something and it doesn't pan out. That you you pull out real quick. That wasn't his nature, but that's kind of what he did in business. Like, this isn't working pull out. Oh, now it's working. Too late.
1: Um, yeah. So why, did, why why wasn't he, and I hate to use the term taking care of, but, like, he played for the Chiefs for all those years, won a Super Bowl here in Kansas City. Why wasn't there some kind of Cush vice president job where he could just come in and shake hands and kiss babies and kind of be the face of a bank or the face of a law firm or the face of a doctor's office or something like that? How come that never materialized for him?
2: Well, you know, I guess there's a couple answers to that. Is The, the chiefs offered him a scouting job, um, but he would have to backtrack so much pay-wise that he just didn't feel like he could do it. He had a couple of kids going to Rockhurst. Um, He had another going to Barstow. Um, uh, You know, the whole family would have had to have backtracked so much. Let's pull all the kids out of these, these schools. Let's, let's get a smaller house. Let's just downsize everything by quite a lot. Mm -hmm. And that just wouldn't work. And in, regarding like the, the vice president of taking clients out to lunch, as one person says. Yeah. A fair number of those guys did that kind of, did that kind of thing during their careers. But I don't know that there were that many of those opportunities in the, in the seventies for, for, for athletes. Um, you know, it's not like you're going from making Ten million a year to making three million a year and endorsements and all. It's it's more like going from I'm I'm the greatest at my position making seventy thousand a year, and uh, you know now maybe an endorsement will get my kids free chocolate milk for the year. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't think there were as many opportunities.
1: So five years after roughly he retires, he has the the night where he shoots himself, kills his wife, kids are all in the house. And as we're finding out now how many football players are dealing with with CTE that have retired from the National Football League, we've seen a lot of football players take their lives. And back in 1980, people thought you threw on a helmet and everything was going to be okay. Nobody even considered maybe there was some kind of brain damage to him or, or, or CTE. That wasn't something that we spoke of. How confident is the family that he was one of kind of the first, if you will, victims of CTE from playing in the NFL?
2: Well, I'll tell you, tell you this, even beyond the family, I, I had um, conversations with the Concussion Legacy Foundation and their CEO, Chris Nowinski, he put the the likelihood that Tyre had CTE at more than 90% as high as it can possibly be without having the body without having the brain there. Mm -hmm. Um, all, all the symptoms, um, Mm -hmm. uh, were there and, and what makes it, I I don't want to say easy, but what makes it easier with him is that he was such a good guy. You can't find any dirt on this guy. It, It was never like, well, he'd been hitting his wife for three years there is nothing out there that would indicate he would do what he did.
1: Um, clean slate until the end. So uh, so what made her him her do life. that? You know, so, so what made him do that? What made him snap? What made him have that moment of, as you said, 10 seconds of his life that obviously can never be changed? But what made that moment happen?
2: So this is what helped me to understand it because I always thought, well, everybody said he was depressed, and everybody said that his businesses were failing. Why is it any different than any other murder-suicide? Because we hear about murder-suicides. Are, are Is everybody just failing? They don't want to accept that about him. And um, what I learned about CTE is that the best analogy is, imagine that you've got a winding road, and you're a car that's out of control. You, you bump, bump up against the guardrails. You... You know, you you take some dents. Um, A healthy brain is the guardrail. So maybe you get really angry at your wife. Um, Maybe you throw a fit. Uh, But if you don't have the guardrail, uh, you, you just don't have the normal controls that you had before. And that's everything about that night. That's, that's, uh, appears to be the situation. Uh, you know, for example, uh, somebody might drink a lot and that would take away their guardrail. Mm-hmm. And there was speculation about that. I've seen message boards and conversations. He probably just was really drunk. I got his autopsy report. Zero. There's nothing in his system. Um, in fact, there's nothing in his stomach, which tells you that he was depressed.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But uh, the, the guardrail was gone.
1: What do the kids tell you about that night?
2: Wow. Well, uh, they uh, there were three kids in the house, and they hid under the bed for an hour and a half to two hours. Because they're in their heads, they've they've heard the gunshots, they've heard the screaming, um, they know something horrific has happened, but there's nothing in their lives to indicate that. You know, there's been a murder suicide. They think there's an intruder. Um, so, I mean, those poor poor kids hide under their bed forever, and they finally they finally come out and call down the hall for mom and dad mom and dad and and they don't get any answer and um the uh the youngest the youngest girl who is 12 at the time one week from being 13 she decides to go look and that's uh you know that's how it ends up happening
1: I mean that that's I, I'm going through my mind of picturing like if that was me and finding that and how you recover from that and and I don't know that you do, you know, as a child. I, I think it's it's really a tough, obviously a tough situation to be in as a kid, but to recover and come out the other side like like these kids are today with successful lives is is truly remarkable. And it's back to the grandparents, we you know we, we talked about. So a- after they found their parents were both dead then what, well, I mean, what do you do in that situation? What did they do after that?
2: Uh, you know, you caught grandparents were, were called, police were called. Um, and that's kind of, you know, the, the eldest child, the fourth child was 19. She was at Mizzou and, um, her, her brother and the grandpa, they hop in a car and they drive to Mizzou. So we, we need to tell her. And, um, yeah, I mean, just just a horrific time. And a horrific time for, for the Chiefs as, as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, the player said that of anybody on the team, he is the most unlikely to have done this. Mm-hmm. Um, but kudos to the Chiefs the way they responded. N- nobody knew why he did what he did. Um, and certainly at the time. And yet they rallied around those kids. There was no demonizing of the kids, of Tyre himself, just people that they did a very good job of not making judgments. And in fact, um, Lamar and Norma Hunt were in the Tyre living room um, after the funeral talking to the kids. So, you know, that that is what's so cool about this to me is that you know in the profession that you're in when somebody tells a story they want to put a bow on it that day Mm -hmm. what is it like to not pass judgment without having any answers for 29 years i mean you want you want to put some kind of bow on it in terms of you know what he was evil after all um you know or we thought we knew him, but we didn't they they just did not know, and yet they remembered him uh for ninety nine percent of his life instead of the last
1: one percent so where's the family at now with all this? Do they forgive their father
2: um, I think so that's a that's a really good question i I know that they're they're very effusive about saying that they love him. Um that they don't dwell on that day. Um you know even even what they think of the afterlife and you know um what he's responsible for. Um, they're really proud of him. Uh yeah, they're they're exceptionally proud of
1: of their dad. Is there any talk about exhuming the body and examining the brain, or are we too late on that? Um, they were cremated. Okay, so there's there's none of that that's available to do. Okay, well, I,
2: but I, I will tell you this: it, if you if you want to know how the family feels about him. Uh, so Jim and Martha Tire are cremated after the funeral and they have their ashes for uh, five plus years. Once all the kids are out of the house, the grandparents have raised them. Grandpa dies. And what do they do when grandpa dies? They put Jim Tire's ashes in with grandpa. This is, this is the father-in-law. Mm-hmm. And... Martha Tire's ashes in with grandpa. So grandpa's buried with his daughter and with his son- son-in-law. If you hate that guy, do you think grandma's going to sign off on the ashes being in there with grandpa? No. Um, so that, I mean, that says a lot, lot to me that, you know, if, the, if, if the, if extended family, the family of Martha Tire is willing to, to have him buried with their dad, um, then maybe we should be willing to give him a a second look as well.
1: Well, do you think that's going to happen? I mean, is this, is this the goal now to try to find a way to get him back in the conversation of being a hall of famer?
2: Um, so that's probably, that's probably a better question for the family. I think my biggest focus was on taking what I, what I learned from them and, uh, and, and just saying, you know, getting a legacy right matters. Um, and nobody nobody that I read in print had his legacy right. Um, I mean, I, I'll, I'll tell you that uh, there was one article that I read, and this is a good reminder for, for reporters and, and everybody else. There was one article that I read that said, uh, Jim Tyre laughed before he uh after he shot Martha and then shot and then shot himself. I've got I've got the autopsy report, I got the crime report. What it says is that the son heard something similar to a laugh, but it wasn't a laugh. It was a despondent, like plaintive wail. It, just to take that little part that says Jim Jim laughed, it, that was just disingenuous. It, it, whoever, whoever wrote that back then um, is good copy, but wow, is that in,
1: inaccurate. So what do you want people to know about Jim Tyre? Like when, they, when they're done watching this, what do you want people to come away with about this guy?
2: That... Um, We we all need resilience and you can actually learn it. It's not just like a talent and there are keys to resilience. Um, And Jim Tire had them. Um, And it was because of the injury that he had brain injury that he had that, um, you know, even the resilience wasn't enough. But so, you know, I, I, like I said, I think that the big thing is that you get the legacy right. You know really who he was. And that also you look at that family from the, from the grandpa to Tyre, to Tyre kids, and, um, and say, wow, I can, I can learn about resilience from these people. It, it, one of the things that I thought about, Bob, is that we, we've got absolute suicide epidemic, you know. Um, and, and like I said earlier, I think it's, it's, it's vital that people talk about their emotions and work through their past and all those kinds of things. But I think one thing that the previous generations had right, maybe they didn't talk as much, but you got to move forward too. you know, the, the, the continuing just to, Try to understand without moving forward, maybe that 's something that this generation can learn um, because anybody who 's been through like a depressive time in their life or has clinical depression uh, it 's easy to to stay there you know make make the goal to to get out of it you know we 've talked about it we 've talked about it we 've talked about it. Uh, now what
1: can we do with our lives? So the title is a good man. Would you define Jim Tire as a good man?
2: I named it that so people could kind of, as opposed to Jim Tire was a good man, I named it a good man so people could kind of think about it. Um, And, um, you know, in, in interviewing everybody, they talked about, uh, Truman, the grandpa, Truman was a good man. And then when, when Jim was looking for work and he was willing to take pretty much anything by the end, he, he was like, does anybody know of someone looking for a good man? You know, a good man is sometimes seen as an average guy who has integrity. Um, It it just kept on that a good man just kept on popping up every time I talked to people. And I thought, well, yeah, that that should be the name. But for my part, um, uh, my dad was a jail chaplain. And so he always taught me that there's a flicker of good in everybody, um, that you don't ever just write somebody off. And, uh, Anyway, I think with Tyre, there's more than a flicker. You know, the flicker was the bad.
1: Fifteen seconds. That's all it took to change a legacy. I'm not sure the Hall will ever welcome Jim Tyre, but the next time you go to Arrowhead, you'll now know the story of a man that dominated for many years with the Kansas City Chiefs.
0: Baseball is back.